Coming up on March 3rd, our second Film Grain virtual cinema event is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, released in 2020, starring Frances McDormand. Following the economic collapse of a company town in rural Nevada, Frances McDormand's character Fern packs her van and sets off on the road exploring a life outside conventional society as a modern-day nomad. The director included real nomads Linda May, Swanky, and Bob Wells as Fern's mentors and comrades in her exploration through the vast landscape of the American West. Nomadland is sure to win all the awards this season, and you can watch it on Hulu right now. And then on March 3rd, you can join us on Zoom for a discussion with the Film Society team, Mike, John, and me. We'll share our thoughts and we'll release it as the Film Grain podcast on March 15th. So to get the Zoom link and join us for the discussion, join the Film Society mailing list. You can go to our website to do that, filmsocietynwpa.org. Or you can follow our Facebook page and the Nomadland event there for all the details. We'll keep sharing the virtual cinema events via our Facebook page, so you don't want to miss out all of our virtual cinema events as they're coming through the spring. We're not going to be charging for most of our events. We do have some special events and filmmakers coming up, really, really important events that we may be charging for. We'll probably charge for one of them specifically that's coming up, so you do want to sign up for that. Um, so please, please consider making a donation. We will have a link in all of our emails to do that, and we will have a link on all of our events to do that. We do want to keep our event up and running. We do love bringing our programming to our community. Your support does mean a lot to us, um, and you can find out how on our website. We will have a link on the event page as well, as I said. So thank you so much. We hope to see you soon to share your thoughts on Nomadland. Cheers. So Alex, um, we have a lot of listeners here in Erie and it kind of struck me hearing you talk about being in LA for 12 years and I'm sure living all over the country, but particularly in LA, the difference that you find people say, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. You don't just say you're going to do it. You actually do it. And I think um, that's one of the benefits that you find here in Erie is that a lot of people just do things because there's nothing really stopping them. I, I really, I really find that a lot that there's not the same kind of hurdles. Yes. Money, right. There's no huge, there, there's no people just throwing huge amounts of money at people. So essentially there's a lot of, well, I want to do something on my own. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get my friends together and make make a movie, do a project. And so it really comes down to the desire to do it, the desire mm -hmm. to write something, the desire to get some equipment and rent it or use what I have. And so you, what comes down to is my wanting to practice my writing and practice my camera and practice my lighting. And I feel like you get rid of all of the things that stand in your way and just wanting to do it and just making it happen. And so one of the things we were talking about in preparing for this interview was we are trying to attract as a, as a city, right? We're trying to attract kind of these micro budget films here because to come here and we've had a lot of them. We've had some smaller TV shows, some reality TV shows, and we've had some micro budget films, stuff like $300,000 budgets. And 
we're trying to position the city a little bit more as like a million dollar movie city. And if you had to imagine, you know, a city that could support a million dollar movie production, when you had people who just would do it, you know, not just be hindered by this idea that, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that. Like, how could you imagine a city that would be supportive of a million dollar movie or a $300,000 budget movie or a $700,000 movie? Like, what would be your dream city? Because we're trying to create that ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. the dream indie city, you know? There's a couple of things you could do. Um, one, I'm not sure if you have tax incentives, but they help. Yeah, um, we do. 25 we have a tax incentive. That, that's one of the benefits of Pennsylvania. We have a 25% tax okay. incentive if you spend 60% of your budget in the state. Okay. So that's excellent. So that's an excellent thing. Um, I think that the biggest thing you could do is, is support facilities and support um, having major support in the sense of studio, studio space, crew, local crew uh, um, that you can that they can tap into to get to that 60% that are, that have credits or that have some, that have real experience. Like if I was, you know, if I was going to produce a movie and I was going to go to Erie, I'd be like, first questions I have is like, okay, tax incentive, check. Okay, great. What kind of support facilities do they have there? Is there any, is there any studio space? What kind of studio space is it? I mean, I doubt that you have a backlot. You might, I don't know. Um, but if you don't have a backlot, that's fine. What do you have? It makes it easier for me to shoot. So someone like me as a producer, um, especially at a million dollar below budget, I'm looking for things that I haven't seen on film before because I'm coming from LA. So here, like my street has been shot 20 times this week. I mean, it's just like, it's constant. Like there's nothing new here. So I'm always looking for something that I haven't seen on screen before. So what is there uh, in Erie or the surrounding areas that's so unique that you really haven't seen before that you can give easy access to. Um, how hard is it to shoot there? Do you do, what is the permitting situation like? Is there a cost of permitting? How easy it is to get the, to get the permits? How um, how excited are the locals to be part of a production? Um, so if I go to a smaller town within Erie or on the outskirts of Erie, and I want to, I'm like, oh, this is a quaint little town. Are there, are they going to be just excited? Like, oh my God, they're shooting a movie, which generally speaking, I think it probably would be that as opposed to here in LA, when, when you're shooting a movie, they're like, it's going to cost you $500 to shoot near my lawn. You know, it's like, it's a completely different, it's a complete, and I, and, and I come from a small market. I come from Miami, which is a smaller market than LA. So I know what it is to shoot down there. Um, I know what it is to shoot. Like when I shot at when I shot at Sundance at Park City, everybody. I was so surprised. Everybody was so happy for us to shoot. <laughs> no one, no one asked for anything. They would turn music off. I was shooting restaurants in the middle of Sundance. Everybody was just like, "Oh my God, you're shooting a movie." I'm like, "Seriously? Like you're in the middle of Sundance and you're impressed by what I'm doing?" <laughs> um, but it was a small town, and I realized that even Park City, they get kind of starstruck by that kind of stuff. Um, where I'm just a jaded. LA filmmaker at this point. So it, it, it's it's different, but those are the kind of things I would look for, uh, support facilities, tax incentives, uh, cool areas, cool things to shoot uh, and having easy access to that and having that all cataloged. Um, and I'm sure, and she's smiling and laughing, shaking her. She's like, well, Alex, we have all of this. We have all this. Well, Why aren't yeah, you shooting? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're working on it. We just launched a new website. We have a relationship with Real Scout and we're um, kind of building up our database of locations. Um, we're really at this point working on our relationship with the county 
you know, we're trying to build up that relationship a little bit more. Um, we're figuring out the right relationship with our tourism, with our local tourism organization, because that's how it's usually done with most other cities and states. It's that relationship because it's about locations um, and it's about, it is kind of about tourism. It's about bringing events and organizations here. Um, and so there's other, um, there's kind of other equivalent organizations that have done exactly what we're doing in a different way. So anyway, we're, we're, we're working on that. We've spent a lot of time. It's been a long haul. I don't know. It's been like seven years that we've been doing all of the things that you've been talking about, it's just we're right on the edge of trying to get some funding for it. We're, we're right there. It, but everything you've funding, said- Funding, like, what a surprise. Educating and, 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 crew, yeah, educating all of that. Crew. By the way, if you also have money there, that'd be fantastic. If you could just give money to people who show up, that would be great. I promise you, you'll get a yeah. line of filmmakers. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be great. Um, shoot here and we'll pay you to shoot here. Like that would be fantastic. I, 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 I just see, be handing it out. Be like, hey, bring out. the production here. We'll pay you, it, please. <laughs> I mean, in, in, all, in all honesty too, you should, you know, I would also actively try to solicit filmmakers uh, and, and, and productions and producers. They're like, hey, come here. We have discounts for air. We have a discount airlines. We have discounts on, in hotels here. Um, we could do this, this, you have to come up with all these packages and incentives to get, because you have to understand. And also there's only a certain amount of time you can shoot an area unless you want to shoot in the middle of winter, which generally not many people want to do, unless that's specifically the kind of movie you want to shoot. Um, so you have a window of opportunity. You don't have, you know, 12 months a year that you can shoot. You got to be able to entice people to come out there. And it's hard because I've talked to other film commissions around the country in New York and, and, and other, and other uh, states uh, that they're like, how can we get more people up there? I'm like, like, look, you know, it's hard to get, if I have a 300,000, this is, this is the, the, the brutal truth of it all. If I have a $300,000 micro budget film and I get to, I get Kevin Sorbo, I get Kevin Sorbo attached to my $300,000 faith-based movie that I'm making, which could easily be shot. The vegan in, chef. Is this going to be the vegan? Well, obviously it's the vegan chef. We're shooting it in, in order for me to shoot it there before, you know, Kevin used to live in LA. Now he lives in Florida and and when he was in LA and I was shooting here, I go, Kevin, do you want to go shoot this? He's like, sure. I'm like, I just need you for seven days. Let's, let's shoot. Oh, right, great. Yeah. And I could get back home at, at night. Great. I don't have to fly anywhere. Great. That is a huge thing you're overcoming as a city because now I've got to fly, not only convince Kevin to go to Erie, Pennsylvania for two or three weeks, as opposed to being able to spend all that time in LA with his family at a low budget because there's not money, there's not money, like you're talking three, four, $5 million. It's, you're being paid for your inconvenience. But when you're talking at a micro budget, they're doing you a, a slight favor to do these things. So like, you know, you can call up Danny Trejo and Danny, I'm like, look, we're shooting a movie in LA next week. I need you for two days. Uh, okay, 30,000, fantastic. If I told the same, his agent, the same thing, I'm like, hey, we're shooting this movie. I need him for two days. We're shooting in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, that's a week essentially for him. So now the costs go up for me. He's like, well, if it's a week, I got to fly out. What, what time of year is it? Oh, it's in December. Well, that's gone. But let's say we're shooting in summer. Then all of a sudden that $30,000, which I could have gotten in LA, turns into 75 to get him to fly out to Erie. So there has to be some major things enticing me to bring that kind of project to you guys. So you're fighting that a little bit. And that's what I found out here living in LA where... Actors are much more inclined at all levels, 
if they live in LA to give you a deal to work, you know, to work on scale, to just come out if they're, they can get home at the end of the day. But if you're flying and it's also not Hawaii. So like, if I'm doing the same thing in Hawaii, I'm like, Hey guys, I'll fly you out to Hawaii for five days. Danny will probably come out <laughs> and, and it probably won't cost me 75 grand. It'll probably cost me 45 or 50 grand because he's flying out to Hawaii for five days. And he maybe hadn't been there for a while <laughs> or something like, or we're shooting in Puerto Rico or, or something like that. It's a completely different thing. So you have a, you have an uphill battle because of where you are in the country. Cause you're up, you know, from LA, you're essentially almost the other side of the, of the country. So it's a lot more difficult. And then I'm also going to bring my keys in. I'm going to bring in my DP. I'm going to bring in my production designer. I'm going to probably bring in my first AD. I'm going to bring in four or five major keys in, and then they're going to try. And, and I promise you, one of those keys is going to want to bring their, their, their key grip or their gaffer or someone they work with in order to, so that you see, that's all extra, va- all extra cost to me where if I shot in LA, yeah, I might not be getting that 25%, but I'm getting these high end professionals. At a, at a bargain price, or at least at a decent price, where even if I kept them at the same price, flying all the way over to you guys, I need to have something financially and or all the other things we discussed to make it worth our while to go out there. And that's what you know other states have been doing for a while now. And there's only a handful that are actually doing, I mean, Atlanta probably is the best case of that. They literally just took over. And now they are the East Coast's second Hollywood. And they, there's so much production in there and there's so much infrastructure and there's so much crew, but that took a while to get there. It wasn't overnight. I mean, you know, it took a while, but walking dead started it off. Then Tyler Perry and then all these other kind of people just started to feed it and feed it. And I was trying to do something like that back in Florida. I'm like why we have a great state. Look what he thought we could shoot 20, you know, all year long. It's, it's Miami, it's Broward, you know, there's so many different things. Um, you know, Orlando's right there. So there's some studios up there, Universal's up there. So there's something, you know, close by. Still couldn't get it done. So it's, it's tough. But if you're able to package all this together, even if you aim it at a micro budget, just keep in mind that a $300,000 or below budget, it doesn't make a lot of sense to fly out there. If you've got any sort of star power or anything like that, which at that budget range, you should definitely have some sort of star power. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's very possible, but you just have to, you got to package it in a really enticing way where you just like, well, look at the numbers. The numbers make sense. Oh, I'm also getting this. Also, oh, they're also throwing in this. Oh, I, I'm, I, I don't pay for locations because all the locations are free. Um, oh, or, you know, I have the complete support of the police department there and it's not costing me a whole hell of a lot to get, you know, a couple cops to hang out at the set for the week. You know, and, and things like that. These are the little things that you have to think about to entice uh, productions to go up there, at least from coming. And I'm coming at it from an L.A. mentality. It, it can be completely different from, you know, uh, North Carolina mentality, a Chicago mentality. Like it's completely different. I'm coming at it from an L.A. mentality. But I think a lot of the, the, the things I have issues with or I have challenges with are challenges that you would have to come overcome in any with any any production, no matter where you are in the country. I hope that helped. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there for state-owned property, there's no permitting, so Good. you don't have to pay. And also, I think Erie County is um, it's very small in that sense that it's pretty easy to get cooperation when you need it. So okay. making a phone call, it's very easy to get someone to go, yep, great, we'll do this for you, we'll do that for you. Um, I know John can probably attest to some of those things um, as, course. you know. Yeah, I think you, I mean, Alex, you probably know. I mean, we've, John's, we've done John's it. Shot. We've done it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's I mean, all about, it's, it's all about marketing. It, 
it's all about marketing and packaging uh, mm -hmm. and how you guys yeah. present yourselves. That's all it is. It's all about mm -hmm. the website. It's all about how you present yourselves. It's all about mm -hmm. the kind of projects that you can, whatever projects that have come in there, how you spotlight them, how you move them, how you grow them. You know, the, it's, mm -hmm. it's just marketing and, and packaging and branding. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, Atlanta, like, are you kidding me? Like in nineties, like Atlanta, what? Like no one would have ever thought of shooting in Atlanta or New Mexico or Louisiana or any of these other, you know, big production hubs, you know, but now they are known for what they, for that. So New Mexico is right. no, I mean, Netflix is spending $300 million there. They're not spending $300 million in LA. They're spending it outside of LA because they know the, the ROI makes more sense there because mm -hmm. they get the tax incentives, they get the infrastructure. And there's only a handful of cities in the country that really have depth in crew and depth in support facilities and, and camera departments and, and all these kind of things that you really look for. And Atlanta is probably the next biggest one other than New York, probably, obviously. New York is, is probably second after LA, but but Atlanta, production-wise, I don't know, sure. I think it might even take taken over New York at this point, who knows? Pennsylvania is really unique because we are so lucky to have that tax credit, um, but we're very unique in the state of Pennsylvania in that, you know, we're not Philadelphia and we're not Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh is so really big. They have a great film office and they have a great industry there. And it's so close to Erie that we do have people coming up. We have this coastline in Erie County that is beautiful. And it's like, you can use it as ocean coastline. I mean, it's the only coastline in the state of Pennsylvania for you, for you to use. So if you need that kind of coast, we have it here, whereas you can't get that anywhere else in the state of Pennsylvania, and it could stand in for you for any coastline that you need. You know, can I put can I put a mechanical shark in there? That's all I have to ask. Is can I put you absolutely can put a mechanical okay. shark? Okay, in there. if I can put absolutely. then I'll, I have this movie. It's I'm thinking about it. I'm I'm just just working it around my head right now. You can put a boat. Can, actually, you have the theme it was song? used you have in. Uh, song I, I, I'm thinking of that 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 that. That, that, it's something like that. I'm not sure. I hear that in my nightmares. <laughs> I hear it in my nightmares. Yes, yes. Well, that's all really helpful. That's all really helpful because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's that far off. I mean, we get, we get requests all the time and it's taken a, a while to get here, but we've really taken shape over the past, you know, few years that, um, that it feels really tangible that, that we can make something of our yeah. film office. I, I think other thing, uh, another thing you could do right now that would make you stand mm -hmm. apart is if you if you spearhead the whole COVID thing. If you can figure out how to project yourselves as one of the leading production places in the country who understands COVID, understands what it takes to shoot with COVID, um, the, the the new standards and all of that stuff, and you kind of highlight that aspect of things. That could bring a lot of people because the whole COVID thing is a whole like, you know, monkey wrench in everybody's thing. And it's just an added 15% sure. to the budget automatically. It's a 15% add to all the budgets, which does not, it's, you're basically losing 15% now to shoot because it's, it's wow. not adding anything to the movie. It, there's, it's not like you're getting a bigger star or a better camera or more shooting days. No, it's just the cost of, of actually doing business went up 10 to 15% pure purely because of COVID. Um, and the official guidelines set out by, who do the who sets the guidelines for that? There's a, there's, there's a couple of organizations that have set that up. You could look that up. But I think, you know, mm -hmm. SAG has their own, 
the DGA have their own, WGA have their own, you know. Tom I mean, Cruise. Tom Cruise has his own, um, which okay. you, do not, you do not want to piss him off. Um, by the way, I'll go on, I'll go on the record. I completely, totally agree with Tom Cruise on that. Yeah. I, completely, I think we all do. Of course. I think yeah. like that's standing like, up just, for people. You know, Christian Bale, I get that. That was just and I love don't get me wrong, I love Christian, I don't want to piss off Batman. But um, but that was, you know, it was it was what it was. But Tom, and people are like, oh, it's like Christian. Like, no, it's not. Tom no. is actually, and you know, and I always tell people like, you could, you look, it's none of our business what the man believes on his own personal time. <laughs> on a on a movie, as a movie star, as a producer, there is nobody ever in the history of our industry who's done what Tom Cruise has done. He has been a movie star for thirty five years. He's still the biggest movie star currently, and probably one of the biggest ever. And you got to give the man credit. He's an utmost professional and he, he broke his foot and kept walking. He has like no he, fear. <laughs> he's making a movie in space. Yeah. Respect the man. You got to respect the hustle, <laughs> man. I don't care. Got to respect it. Yeah. He learned how to be a fighter pilot to make the sequel to Top Gun. Of course. By the way, way, where is he? that sequel? Where is it? So my, buddy, it. Yeah. so my buddy worked on it, told me he's like, I was being rushed before last uh -huh. Christmas. Before last Christmas, they were killing them to hurry up because we got to get this release and it's on a shelf right now until this summer. Actually, this summer, I guess, hopefully. We'll I'd see rather it. see that in a theater anyway. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I, I want to see Maverick so... on a big screen. I, you know, and I don't know if I'll see it in a big screen. I want to see it in a big screen. I'm, 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 I'm a cobophobe. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah, I, 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 know. I wear, I wear the shield. I have, I have like a painter's mask. I, I wear gloves. I'm a psycho. Well, you yeah, know, let I, me put it this way. If it comes out on a streaming service, I will watch it there. Cause I will see it when it comes out. I'm dying to see it. I'm dying to see it. Uh, anything Tom does, too. anything Tom does, I, I, you know, I'll watch, you know, and I want to see this movie yeah, does with Elon Musk in space. Like, right. <laughs> but if you was, if there was one person, I don't know if about this. Look, <clears throat> Yeah, Doug. Well, yeah, but Elon's helping. I know Elon's helping. Uh, yeah, Doug Lyman is is directing it. But like, if there was one person, if I told you guys, hey, there's an actor who's going to make a movie in space. Tom How many Chris. are there? there? There's no. There's not really. It's a short list. It's like he's the only like, one. There's two people that could only do certain things, and I think Tom Cruise could be the only guy who could actually make a movie in space, as as an actor, as a filmmaker. I think James Cameron could absolutely do it, um, without question. But when people always ask me about James Cameron, I'm like, well, you have to understand James Cameron is the only human being on the planet who could do what he does. And I'm not being exaggerated. Like there's nobody, no other director in Hollywood working today that would have been able to get $500 million for a new IP about blue people with technology that has not been developed. And we're going to take two or three years to develop it. Uh, and, and then we're going to come back to you. There's no other Spielberg's not getting that. Scorsese's not getting that. Nolan's not getting that. No one. And no he's one's went that. he's went back and he's doing it again and again. You know, it's like There's you no, can never count him out. Yeah. No, four, it, four more sequels I think are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Four yeah, four more. Russell Carpenter's doing the he, he was uh, I had him on the show a while ago and he's doing the four. Um he's DPing the four movies as well. I, I I've had I've got some great James Cameron stories we could talk afterwards if you want. Great, great, great. I've heard some amazing James Cameron stories. Well, Alex, I want to take I want to sort of Pull it back for a second, and uh, yeah. just as we're talking about uh, COVID, sort of an interesting little segue there. And I know today the news, unfortunately, about uh, South California and stuff like that, how the, uh, the yeah. have sort of gone together, and it's a rough, that's rough, and that's horrible news. And I don't think anybody, uh, I think we're all rooting for this to get 
to pass. Um, but we are looking at sort of an interesting um, watershed moment, I think, as far as film, uh, like uh, independent, independent filmmaking. And uh, so the without a doubt, the industry ebbs and flows as far as major productions and independent film productions, even as far as back as something like United Artists with, you know, Chaplin, Pickford, uh, Griffith and uh, Fairbanks. And then you could take it through to like um, John Cassavetes or uh, then you could take it to the new Hollywood guys from like the Scorsese's and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Spielberg's and Coppola's. And then you're, what do they call the rebels on the back lot and stuff like that. The, we, the, sun, the Sundance, yeah, the Sundance kids. The yeah. Sundance guys, kids. And uh, um, we're sort of at a point now, if you look at it from a historical standpoint, where there is a lot of bloat. Let's call it nice bloat uh, in the large sort of um, franchise franchise films. Whether and I, by the way, love those big popcorn uh, sure. festivals. I'm a huge fan, but it does seem like as that is sort of taking up a lot of the error in the cineplexes and taking up a lot of screens, that there might be a window of opportunity. I'm not just necessarily talking about Erie either. Now, I wanted to get your two cents on where you think, particularly with the advent of the technology being so much more affordable and being accessible to uh, filmmakers across the this great land of ours, where do you kind of see independent filmmaking going? Uh, in the next couple of uh, in the next couple of years, I always I always look at this as like a phase a bit, and I kind of think that we might be about to ride a new crest or a new wave of uh, independent filmmakers. So this is the problem I, I see for us as independent filmmakers. Um, the the barrier to entry before was technology. When I was doing Broken in two thousand five, it was cost prohibitive to create to shoot a feature film. My last two feature films combined cost me ten thousand dollars, and they were and they were sold, and sold internationally, licensed to Hulu, all of that stuff. So the technology is not the problem anymore. Anybody now can can go out and make a feature film. I'm not saying they can make a good feature film. I'm saying they can physically go make a feature film. They can tell a story, cast some actors, have some decent lighting, get a red, get a black magic camera, and it's it's going to look solid. It's going to look solid. It's going to look professional. Um, and I'm going to say maybe 10% of all films made are at that level. The other 90% are pretty much subpar and probably won't go anywhere. And I'm being straight up and honest with you. It just won't. It just won't. The difference with all those people that you talked about from Chaplin to New Hollywood to the Sundance Kids, even to the early 2000s, was that the 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 barrier of entry was still that technology, so there wasn't as much product. So unfortunately now, all we have is product. All we have is content to watch. And you're competing with every show on Netflix. You're competing with episodes that cost $7 million, $5 million, like episodes, <laughs> episodes of shows, which was, astro that was that's mind boggling to us that grew up in the 90s where an episode would cost two or $300,000 of, of, of a major show. I believe now the, pi the pilot of Lost, they were, that was a big deal because it cost 10 million and people were making the big. Right. And it, it was because it was JJ and it was all this big stuff and all that yeah. stuff. Right. But now, you know, you're looking at things like, you know, Games of Thrones, Games of Thrones and, yeah. and Stranger Things and, and, you know, Cobra Kai, which by the way, when I have a conversation about Cobra Kai, we can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was what you're competing with as an independent filmmaker. So the old ways of thinking about making film is so 
archaic at this point because so many people listening even right now to this podcast think that the, the plan to make their movie is I just got to get money to get the movie done and then I'm going to go to film festivals and then someone's going to find me there and it's going to write me a check and then I can go do it again. And I might not get rich on that first check, but that's the plan that they have in their head. And the more delusional filmmakers will think, well, I'll make that film. I'll go to Sundance, sell it for 17.5 million, like Palm Springs did last year, <laughs> and then coast to the Hollywood Hills. And, that, and by the way, I, I drank that Kool-Aid. We spoke about the Kool-Aid. We've all had that Kool-Aid oh, yeah. at We've one point. We've all had that Kool-Aid. Yeah, we've all had that mentality at one point or another. Only the extra salt in our beard has changed our point of view on things. Uh, at least my things, at least, you know, it changes my, my point of view. I know a lot of other filmmakers too, but there's, you know, that delusion is still there. So that's not a realistic thing. The, the, this is the reality of what happens to independent filmmakers today. You raise $100,000 from your parents, you refinance your house because you're 40 something and this is your dream. I'm 40 something, I understand that. So you're like, I've made a little money doing my other hustle, but I really have always just wanted to direct a feature film. So I'm gonna refinance my house, I'm gonna pull out a hundred grand and my wife is along with me because she loves me or my husband is along with me because he loves me. We go and make this movie and it's the script that you've had in your back pocket for about 15 years. It's that script you've been working on for 15 years, by the way. So um, that, and that's the story. That's the thing. That's the one. If I just had the money, I would just blow up. That's what, that's what you're going to go make right now. So you go and make it and you hire a really good DP who's been a buddy of yours, who's got a red or an Alexa. Um, he's got like super cool lenses that, you know, he's going to get from his buddy that normally would rent for like 10,000 bucks, but you get them for free. So it's all, you know, so, you know, it's the same stuff they used on Mandalorian. So it's like all that kind of stuff. Right. So then you go down that road, you cast maybe if you're smart, maybe a face. Cause at a hundred thousand dollars, you're not going to get a name, but you'll get a face. You'll get someone that maybe somebody knows. And maybe if you're a little shrewd, you might be able to get a name for a day. You might be able to get Kevin Sorbo to come out for a day. Or Danny Trejo between the other five movies he's doing that week. Exactly. <laughs> so you can get someone like that and have them come out for a day and you can put them on the poster. And this is all best case scenario, by the way. So then you shoot this movie and oddly enough, it's pretty damn good. It's a solid piece of film. Um, it's not going to blow anybody away, but it's, it's even keel. It's not like someone's going to look at it and probably give it a six or a seven on IMDb. You know, it's not... It's not going to win. A, it's, it might, might get into a few festivals, might win in a couple awards. But then once that that high comes off, like you went, you got into the Moose Jaw Film Festival somewhere in the middle of the country. I don't know if that's a real <laughs> festival or not, but the, the Moose Jaw International Film now. Festival. It is now. You won, you, won, you won Best Picture at the Moose Jaw International Film Festival. Okay. And your ego is full and you're like, I won. and you go up there and there's a picture and they give you like a little moose head with a little thing. And it's like, that's the, that's the award. And you're like at home, it's on your, in your mantle. You're like, I made it. Look at that. And all of that's going on, right? And you, and you, and you talk and you get invited onto podcasts and you're talking about <laughs> your film and all of this stuff. Then the reality sets in. You're like, okay, how am I going to sell this? So then you start sending out to letters to distributors, which I know John, John knows this. This part of the story is very fun. <laughs> so you start sending very, this out. Very fresh. Very fresh. <laughs> this is very fresh. This is all. This, very, this is very fresh with John at the moment. So, <laughs> if I if please. I start twitching or something, you know? so bear bear with me, John. Um, if you want to just mute this section, yeah, that's John. fine. <laughs> 
I'll wave to let you know we're done with this section. We'll get the defibrillator uh, ready in a moment here, John. It's going to be okay. So you start calling out to distributors. And you start sending emails out to distributors. You're like, look, man, here's my trailer. Here's my pot. I've gotten into like four or five film festivals. I won Best Picture at the Moose Jaw Film Festival. Um, I've got some reviews. You guys laugh, man, but you know this is real. You know this is true. I, oh, we know. You're, you're yeah. so on the money. It's okay, <laughs> I know it's laughing like it's, this is not exaggerating. This, this is, is absolutely <laughs> true. So, oh, so you get, so, so you send him this email, like, look, I got a trailer. I got, and then in the trailer, there's some laurels of the moose jaw, best picture at moose jaw. You got to put the, the laurel in the trailer. So you do all of that and you send it out to like 20, 20 distributors in all 20. Cause these are all the, these are the big boys. You're 824, obviously. Sure, of, course. of course. Neon, neon, Volt- yeah. voltage, oh, yeah. you know, all these guys are all going to get, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, an email. And most, and all of them are going to say, eh, we're going to pass because, oh, by the way, the movie's a drama, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not really genre. So, and it's not really a niche. Uh, so it's not like faith-based. It's not, it's just kind of like a general drama about your childhood, um, which is good. It's a nice story about how, you know, your, your childhood went up. Just drama is not selling the, the last All right, but that's, but that's what it is. Yeah. yeah it's last three years, last 30 years. What are you <laughs> 30 about? years. Um, so now you send it out. So now you're just like, oh man, what am I going to do? Well, let me, you know, AFM's coming up. Let me fly. I'm going to spend five grand. I'm going to fly out to AFM, which is the American film market where all the distributors from around the world are going to be. So if I have a chance, I'm going to go there. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to make as many appointments as I can with as many distributors as I can. And I'm going to start going around and showing them my trailer, showing me my, my EPK, my package. I, I printed out, I printed out pamphlets showing everybody that I won the Moose Jaw Film Festival, a best picture. Um, and I think best up and coming first time director, I think I, he won there as well. So um, so you're putting all this together and you're walking around to all these distributors and you're meeting one. And they, oh yeah, sure, sure. You know, this looks nice. We'll call you. Alex, back. you've been there a bunch. How many other filmmakers uh, do you see when you're there kind of executing At AFM? plan? Yeah. At AFM? Yes. The majority of, the majority of people walking around are filmmakers. That's what AFM's turned into. AFM gotcha. is 80%, 80% filmmakers, 20% distributors. It used to be the opposite. But now it's completely, it's all filmmakers walking around because there's such a gluttony of product that they need to get it out there. So now the distributors are in a position of power and they, they could just say no, yes, no, no, no. And most of them times are no, unless it's something they know. It's absolutely something that they're going to make some money on. So let's say you go through all this and like three weeks passes after AFM, you're going, you're emailing people back and forth and you're starting to freak out because your wife's going, look, we, you know, we just refinanced the house. It's a hundred thousand dollars. We haven't made a dime off this thing. You've had no plan what's going on. And all of a sudden, what was support now starts to turn into a thing in the house. And now the relationship starts getting affected. I'm being straight up and raw with this, guys. This didn't happen to me. But um, don't get me wrong. My wife and I have had words <laughs> about my projects in the past. <laughs> N- nothing within the last eight years. But I'm just saying maybe 10 years. Nothing since then because I learned my lesson after I made a $50,000 short film. But that's another story for another time. So, um, so now all of a sudden this is starting to create a stress in your home because your wife is going, oh, my God. Uh, or your husband's going, oh, my God, I love what I love this person, but we're hundred thousand dollars in the hole. And this guy, this girl has not worked and I, I can't make the money. So what's going on. So now you're desperate. Now you're feeling like, Oh my God, I need something. I need something to get money. So now all of a sudden a distributor emails you mm-hmm. out of the blue and you're like, Hey man, I met you. It's I met you at AFM. 
I saw your movie, really like it. I'd like to offer to pick it up for you. And you're like, oh my God, thank God something. Jesus Christ, thank God. It's finally the day. Okay. Jackpot. All right, what's, what jackpot? How much? You know, I, look. If I take fifty thousand, I'll take fifty thousand. It's fine. I'll take a. I'll take a bite, but it's something I can go back to my wife or my husband with. Something. They go. Send us. Send over the deal memo. The deal memo is, uh, we we can't give you any money up front because we can't. But we like and believe in your film, so we only want it for ten years. Uh, normally we ask for 15 years, but we're going to take it only for 10 this year because we want to be fair to you. We also are only going to cap our expenses at $100,000. We normally do 150, but for you, we're going to do $100,000 cap. So that means we're going to spend $100,000 in expenses to get your movie out to the world and we'll put it on all the platforms for you. And you're like, well, I got nothing else. I can't do anything else. The movie is sitting on my shelf. I need to show some sort of action on this. So I'm going to sign this deal. And you sign that deal and you give the movie over to this distributor, which in turn now does exactly what they said they were going to do. They put it on every platform. You're on iTunes, you're on Amazon, you're on Google Play, you're everywhere, you know. Um, oh, the Netflix deal didn't come through. They promised the Netflix deal didn't come through. Netflix is not buying right now. Uh, Hulu's not interested. HBO, sorry, uh, no big stars. And all these things were promised. Now you've got your movie is gone. Um, and you're like, well, okay, well, at least... You know, I get my first, it's on iTunes. So now you could call all your buddies up and, and you could show your wife or your husband, like, look, it's on iTunes. I've made it as a filmmaker. I've made it. I'm on iTunes. I'm right next to Borat 2. I mean, come on. I'm right next to Borat 2. I'm, I'm a real filmmaker. And like, look, I'm going to get a check any day now um, from, from, the, from all the sales, all the sales. So the first report comes in and I'm going to say best case scenario, guys. The best case scenario is going to be the movie made $20,000. That, by the way, is an anomaly. Generally, a movie like this would not make a dime. If any, other than whoever your family and friends are, are purchasing it or renting it on iTunes or watching it on Amazon or something like that. But let's say you got $20,000. Well, when it's all said and done at the, the top, you're like, oh, I got $20,000. Great. So it's like, you know, and it was like a 80-20 split or 70-30 split. So let's say, let's say seven grand is going to come or whatever, 14,000 is going to come to me and and six goes to them. That's fair. They got me the money. Why not? So you go all the way down to the bottom of that report, hmm. and now you owe them $85,000 because their expenses and all the stuff in the marketing and the closed captioning and all these other little things have come into play. And now you came to the realization that you've now given your movie away to a company that will never give you a dime. You've lost your $100,000. And oh my God, what am I going to do? Now that scenario that I just laid out happens every day in this world all the time. As brutal and as, as depressing as that is, that is the reality of where we are as filmmakers. So in order to get yourselves out of that, you have to think differently. And I know, John, I think John, you read my book, right, John? Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. Yes, I was just going to say like, yeah. What's, what's the hope, gonna, Alex? What, it, how can we bring it how back can, around? <laughs> So Rise of the Film Entrepreneur um, is, is my book on how to become a, an entrepreneurial filmmaker. And that's the only hope I think we have as independent filmmakers. I think if you make a general, if you're trying to make a movie for everybody, you will never make a dime in this world. Things that worked in 1995 and worked in 2005 and worked in 2015 do not work today, specifically post-COVID or during COVID as we're not even post-COVID yet, we're still in COVID. 
the whole world is changing. The whole industry is changing. Everything is, it, it's just so different than what filmmakers have in their mind. And it's changing so fast that by the time they start a project to the point when they're ending it, the market has changed already. The new technology has changed. Price points has changed. You know, I had people on my show that made half a million to $3 million in TVOD, in transactional video on demand. Those days are gone. Unless you can drive a tremendous amount of traffic, you have an established audience. If you have an established niche that you can tap into that audience, that's the only way you're going to make any money transactionally, period. Unless you're a studio that has just mm -hmm. spent $100 million on Wonder Woman and people are going to go watch it because it's Wonder Woman or it's an existing IP or it's a big giant studio like Bond or whatever. That's the only way you're going to make money transactionally. You know, the big takeaway from your book, I mean, there's many and it's definitely a great book I can vouch for. Really, everyone that's serious about filmmaking appreciate that seriously needs to read it i did not pay him i did not pay him no, i did not pay did him not. for that <laughs> but but really you know when you create a film you're you need to look at it as you're creating a business it, correct it, it can't be you know kind of the vanity project that you describe like this is my dream i want to do it for fun i mean if you're talking like real money you gotta you it's you gotta be real business and you have to be responsible and you have to plan um, and you always hammer home, you know, that you need to find your, your niche. And really, mm -hmm. as you're sitting down thinking to outline your next script, you know, independent filmmakers, that should definitely be in, in mind. And also marketing that film really like every step of the way and building your niche audience is, is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. Getting to what Mike was saying about are we in another potential opportunity? Have you ever thought, and, and you know, maybe you have and you don't want to talk about this, but you have built an audience of, let's say, well-educated independent filmmakers, creative mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Have you thought about kind of creating your own thing? Because even if you get into Netflix, you know, there, there's like this movie that got into Netflix called A Boy. And apparently it's, it's been in there for months and months and months. And it's this fantastic movie and people didn't even know it was in there because you can't even find stuff on Netflix right. anymore. So unless the, unless the algorithm sends it to you. Yeah. Right. If you even, you, you get a great movie and you get it into Netflix, nobody's even going to know about it. So have you yeah. thought about, you know, kind of leveraging your audience of filmmakers to kind of create like your own collective or you know what i mean have, have you have you thought about anything like that or do you think something like that might be have a chance for success well if you if you if you followed me or know me at all you know i've thought of this uh because <laughs> I'm, I'm a businessman and i'm always thinking about how i can create a business or i can create services or something that can help filmmakers. And that's what I've been doing with Indie Film Hustle for nearly six years now. Um, the problem is, and I get, I get hit up, man, on a daily basis with these new distribution platforms and new fly-by-night ideas and like, oh, we're going to do this now. We're going to do that now. We're going to do this transactional with using the technology that's back on Bitcoin, but then to pay instantly to pay filmmakers and all these mm -hmm. kind of things. And I've, I've heard it all. But the problem is that that transactionally, it's impossible to deal to make money for filmmaker now. And I don't see that changing. I think the boat for transactional has left unless you have an audience that you can tap into or you have your own audience that you could drive 
or you have marketing muscle that you can drive obscene amounts of people and they're going to convert for you. Um, if you're only selling your movie, it is going to be very difficult. But if you're selling upselling other products, other things within that niche, hence the vegan chef, hence courses around the vegan chef, cooking books, other things like that, other product lines that can work around that essential movie as almost as the movie is a loss leader. That is the future for filmmakers in my eye. I, the traditional route is not built for us. It's never been built for us. It's been, it's been built to take money out of our pockets. It has been doing that since Chaplin's day. That's why they created Universal United Artists because they were they were being screwed back then. Nothing has changed. The system is built for the system. It is not built for us. I haven't released this podcast yet, but I'll let you, I'm gonna, I'm going to release it this week. I, I sat down with Kevin Sorbo uh, and spoke to him last okay. week. Okay. <laughs> super super cool. By the way, I love talking to Kevin. And Kevin in the in the interview um, told me that he fought for back end on Hercules and lost. He makes no money really? on any residuals off of Hercules. Oh, oh man. And he fought with some of the biggest lawyers in town. He's Hercules. <laughs> he was Hercules. And by the way, and by the way, that was that at one point was bigger than Baywatch as the most watched television show in the world. And he gets no back end. So this is, is tough, man. <laughs> it's so I'm just when he told me that I was just shocked. Like you guys were shocked. I was shocked. I was like, are you kidding me? You're you were the star of the show. He goes, oh, the producers got paid, but I did. And we've all we all had the same contract. But they just said, eh, you don't like it. Eh. And that's the business. That's what we're walking into. If you constantly are trying to play within a game that's absolutely rigged against you all the time, you're never going to make it. That's why I decided to start playing my own game and start doing my own stuff. And that's what I, I, I preach in Rise of the Film Entrepreneur is you've got to take control of your film. You've got to take control of, of the, the money, of the business, of the streams of revenue coming in. Because if you don't, you will never make it. You'll make one movie and you're done. You know, when I made uh, On the Corner of Ego and Desire, I made it for five grand. Now, mind you, I have a lot of resources. I have a lot of skills, a lot of things that I can use to make that work. But essentially, even if I would have paid everybody full, I think I paid most everybody got paid in one way, shape or form. If I would have paid for actual locations and things like that. But because I made it for five grand, I promise you that I was in profit much quicker. And mm -hmm. I was making money with the movie before I ever got released because I built that movie for my audience. And, and my audience was filmmakers. So yeah. I built something that was my personal project. That was a, a, a passion project. Cause I wanted to show filmmakers, you know, I wanted it kind of like a tongue in cheek for sure. Kind of like yeah. how, how ridiculous we are yeah. and, and take the extreme version of this kind of waiting for Guffman, you know, this is spinal tab vibe, but to independent filmmakers and take them on the, on, on a kind of like yellow brick road of Sundance. And I, but I, I did product placement in there. Uh, of my own show. I, 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 there were so many things that I did inside the movie that I used the movie to sell. It, and I really don't care if I sell it or not. I really don't care if I rent it or not, or people watch it or not. But I have, people have, and people do rent it and people do watch it. I do make money with it. But the majority of all my income has nothing to do with the sale or the exhibition of the film. And that's what I was trying to prove with it's Ego the big, and Desire. Big picture brand. It's the eco. It's the ecosystem that I kind of created around it. So, 
that comes from podcasting, that comes from book, like the book on Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. There's a couple, there's a, I think a chapter or two that I use Ego Desire constantly as, as a case study. And I show people and I drive people back to that, people who read the book. So it's like this creating this kind of like ecosystem of like, if you go here, it drives you there. If you go there, it drives you here. And that's what I've been able to build up with just that one little movie. And people are like, why don't you do that all the time? I'm like, I could, if I wanted to make a movie a month, this is pre-COVID probably, but but let's say COVID wasn't around. I could make a movie every couple months comfortably um, and I can make money with those, but it's not something I want to do right now. I'm happy doing what I'm doing and it's, and, and I will make another movie soon and I will, you know, but when I th- do it, I'm going to use the film entrepreneur method. And I think that's the only way we're going to do it. And to answer your question, Mike, do I think there's another crest? I don't. I, unfortunately, I don't because everything that I've said is still in place, if not has gotten heightened because of COVID. When I'm watching six seasons of Schitt's Creek, which I am right now, by the way, um, which is an amazing show. <laughs> they're 20, they're 25 it. minute yeah. episodes. Your independent film is competing with that. So unless your independent film is something that I really attach to emotionally, mm-hmm. it has to be emotional. I, if, if, you, if you are a new vegan documentary or a vegan chef movie, because I'm, I'm, I'm vegan, so I like, I like watching things about mm-hmm. that concept. Or, or if you're a skateboarder or you're a surfer or something like that comes along, I will stop watching Shit's Creek and watch, your, watch that movie because it has an emotional attachment to me. That is what the power of the niche does. If you are just going to do another generic action movie with, God forbid, nobody I recognize, there's no way in hell that I'm going – do you do that? When you're scanning through Hulu or Netflix no. and you see something, a movie that's like a foreign movie that like looks cool but has nobody in it, I'm like, I don't know. Do I want to waste an hour and a half of my time, you know, watching this? And I'll and I'll give a movie five minutes and then I'll cut it off if it doesn't it doesn't flow. So then sometimes I'm like, oh, that's Bruce Willis in it. Uh, oh, it's got Nick Cage in it. Uh, I really, okay, why not? We'll give it five minutes. Do you understand that if a Bruce Willis movie is having trouble getting my attention, what chance does a $300,000 independent film with no stars have unless it has an emotional attachment to a niche and to an interest that I I'm interested in having a film about autistic kids because I have an autistic, I don't have one, but like I personally have an autistic kid, let's say, and I want to see those characters portrayed in a positive light. I'm faith-based. I'm Christian. I want to see more of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm pro this guy. I'm, I'm against that guy politically. I want to watch those things because I'm attached emotionally to that. That's the only chance independent filmmakers have. And, I, and I've said that and I've had arguments with filmmakers about it because they don't want to hear that truth. But that is the reality of where we're at. If you want to make an art project, if you want to make a passion project, do it for $5,000, do it for $50,000 if you can afford to lose that money. But if you can't afford to lose the money, you better think like a business person. If not, you will never make another movie again. I think one, and I totally agree with everything that you just said for the most part. And obviously, and this open to conversation to everybody for the most part. I think one one of the things when I look at it, and it's not necessarily what's just happening with the streaming platforms or the streaming wars as they're calling it, is I'm trying to look a little bit down the road when I sort of make these broad statements. And for the most part, I think there's going to be a problem that eventually you're going to have with the streaming platforms the same obstacles that you ended up having with cable companies where Netflix, Amazon, they're going to gobble each other up and they're going to continue to increase that paywall 
And so I do wonder on some level what happens when those uh, expenses start getting so high. And I also look at other technology and it's, I should specify that it's not necessarily just about the cameras, the lights. I mean, what we can do with LED lights now is incredible and the new Komodo uh, red and everything like that. Black but, magic, yeah, sure. Yeah. Black magic, but like when I look at things that are happening as far as from, um, not from an IT standpoint, something like uh, blockchain. And, blockchain. Uh, thank you. There thank you. Blockchain. You blockchain. That's right. the that's blockchain. Thank you. Yeah. So when you look at what's happening with blockchain, and there's an example out there that's already been set, and it didn't do so well, uh, obviously because he got canceled. But Louis Suquet's, uh the name of the show was uh, Horace and Pete, and so he yeah. sort of he, he he produced it, he put it out there, did make money. And I do think history is sort of funny. At least you can always go back a little bit and maybe make an educated guess on how some things might alter and stuff like that. I think everything you said was 100% true, 100% true. But I don't necessarily know if it's the filmmaking tools that are gonna to be different. I think it's that the Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Disney Plus are all gonna get so consumed expensive. with sort of expensive and fight with each other. And on top of it, I think that there's gonna be this new nugget with blockchain, possibly, maybe it's something else that will come but blockchain, out. But what blockchain in which way? Blockchain with transactional? Because that's the only way blockchain works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I-, I No think... one, are you are you renting movies? Not yet. <laughs> no. That, that answers everything you need to hear because yeah. if I'm gonna, like right now, I've, I've been bitten by that. Like I wanted to watch a movie and I'll rent it and like three weeks later it's on Netflix. I'm like, son of a- Right. So now I just, so, so yeah. transactional is dead. So blockchain in that scope can't work. In my yeah. opinion, it, it just doesn't have legs to, to, to move forward with. I think the concept of what you're saying of like, oh, everything's going to get more expensive. It's going to be the same as cable. I promise you it could be another $50 a month. I'm never going back to cable because the technology mm -hmm. is so much easier, instant, endless recordings, don't have to deal with anything. It's all of that technology. I'm not, it's going to keep going. And what, and if you, and if it does, let's say, let's say tomorrow, Netflix is 25 bucks. Disney plus is 15 bucks. And let's say all, combining all of them together, it's going to be $200 yeah. a month and cable and cable is going to be 130, 110, 125, let's say, right. There's going to be a group of people who are going to go to cable. Majority of people are going to stick around with all the streaming platforms because I need Netflix. I need to watch stranger things. I need to see the next episode of Cobra Kai. Like I, I, that's, that's just the way it is. Or I'll jump in and out what I needed every month, you know, all that stuff. Bottom line is we ain't quitting. There's no other option. There's nothing else out there that is going to stop me from owning all of those streaming platforms. And I might pull in Showtime for once in a while because Ray Donovan was on and I'll pull it in for a month, watch them all and pull it out. And, and there might be some things like that with HBO and, you know, but there's going to be steady stuff that, you know, like that Disney Plus is so, so cheap and I have kids, of course. Yeah. Amazon's yeah. free, essentially, if you have Prime. Netflix is Netflix. You can probably keep that. And then there'll be some other ones like that out there. And I have a streaming service. I have Indie Film Hustle TV for filmmakers. And I have people that come in and out of that. And, you know, it's like eight bucks a month. But it's really niche. And it's really specific. And it's more educational and entertainment and so on and so forth. But at the bottom line is, dude, even if what you're saying is true, it does not affect independent filmmakers. Because people have too many options. Now, in the 90s, it was not the same. Video stores were still a thing. You know, I, I was working in a video store in the early 90s, in late 80s, early 90s. So, you know, that was the, the glory days of my mom and pop, Video City. Rest, <laughs> rest in peace. Hold on. Pour, out, pour, pour, pour out a little bit of alkaline. I'm so LA, alkaline water with electrolytes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but that was a different time. 
when you Sundance was a thing and independent film was exciting and new. And then you had, I know he's not the coolest guy in the world and he's a fucking monster. Sorry, but Harvey Weinstein was around and Harvey was doing what Harvey did with Miramax and Miramax mm-hmm. built that whole thing up, man. You know, Miramax was behind Robert, Kevin, Tarantino. Like he, he was the one behind all of that. Yeah. So he yeah. built up, that was a different world in a different time. Now, there's so much content. There's so many shows. I've got probably five or six shows in my list I'm waiting to get to. And then with the new movies that come in, and I only watch maybe two to three hours of television at night. Like, you know, I pretty much clock in at seven. And when I go to bed at 10 or 11, that's like, I watch three, four hours of television a day. And that's at the end of the day, essentially. I don't really watch a tremendous amount of television. And I'm, and, and, and I say most people are like that, you know, unless you're just watching TV all day and then you're independently wealthy and you don't have to worry about that or you're living at home. Um, so, <laughs> but there's only so much time. There's only so much time I'm going to be able to watch all of this stuff. So for your independent film to cut through to me, it's going to be really tough. Unless you love independent film and you're a Criterion Collection fan and you want to watch foreign film. But that's such a small... Right, it's another yeah, niche. That's, uh... that's like, yeah, that's like, you know, the film geek crowd mm-hmm. you can't make a living off the film key crowd if you're trying to make features man you can't <laughs> you know that's a sub niche of like you know after kubrick releases you know 2001 then yeah the criteria is like a little sub niche of a new revenue stream it's not the revenue stream if not they would have never made shining um <laughs> so i don't think that independent films if they're thinking like 1990 or even early 2000s or even five or six years ago thinking that that whole scenario that I laid out is still there for them, they will fail. I, there might be an anomaly. There always is an anomaly. But I promise you, every anomaly, and we could start going down the line, we're all genre. Sure. We're all genre. We're all, we're all genre. Mm-hmm. From Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch Project, to uh, Boudonk Saints, to El Mariachi, to Clerk. There was genre. There was genre thing. They weren't like a generic drama. Right. That's, like that. that's they true. That's true. They generally, yeah. gener- like Winter's Bone... Winter's Bone, you could argue. Sling Blade, you can argue. But those were the 90s. It's a different yeah, world. Yeah, still part of that whole Sundance. I'm, yeah. I'm even thinking back at like Bonnie and Clyde and stuff like that. Or yeah, uh, But that's a whole Raiders. that's a whole other world. I mean, it, yeah, but it's, Alex, it's to your point. It, it was kind of genre in its own way. Easy uh, Rider. Easy, easy Rider. rider. Totally easy Rider sh- yeah. shook the entire industry. They're like, wait a minute. These, these, these hippies made a movie that made $300,000 <laughs> or made a few million dollars. Right. What the hell? Like, and that's what opened up. It was Easy Rider yeah. that opened up the whole sun, the whole uh, film, film school brats mm-hmm. world. But it, but it was a genre. You're absolutely right. If you take it back to the Defiant ones, and yeah, yeah, it was a th- motorcycle films are. A, this is a great point that I'd never really thought about. These films that sort of usher in these new waves are genre films. Genre. They're always genre. Horror, ac- action. They're all going to be these either niche or genre films. Generalized just blatant action films unless they have some sort of like twist to them is really not gonna you know if it's a generic but generally action films have some sort of gist to them like it's a martial arts film or it's this film or you know john woo that was you know know, when john woo showed up yeah everyone i still remember i still remember going into the theater and seeing a poster uh shao young fat and the baby baby and the shotgun and that was a poster can you imagine that today and a poster in the theater and i'm like (laughs) what it was right next to mariachi yeah. and i'm like what is that yeah <laughs> it's a great so movie good. 
Oh Same movie. It's so good. On Criterion DVD, I have oh. it. Yes. I had it on Criterion Laserdisc, sir. If I may, I may throw my, I'm going to just slap my, 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 my Criterion, you know what, on the table, sir. I had the Laserdisc. Okay. All right. All right. With the commentary by Roger Avery. Don't get me started, oh sir. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is That's awesome. <laughs> All right, you nerds. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I love, I love oh. Erica's like, okay, I just can't oh. hear this stuff anymore. These guys are off the, off the rails. She, she puts up with my... I, I've been I watching a lot of Criterion. Okay, I know. No, no, I know you can I, follow along. I watched Criterion like, oh. Collection with Michael, too. I'm not... I'm a nerd, no. too, but that's nerdy. No, no, uh, oh, go, go deep. <laughs> I know. So we had some guys on the podcast, I don't know, a few months back. They they were filmmakers. Actually, it was their first film that they made. And they came to Erie because they had someone who was kind of co-producing here in Erie with them. And they had a writing collective in Baltimore. And their writing collective, they kind of branched off of their writing collective and started working on a screenplay because one of the stories they were like, I'm going to start working on this screenplay. And then it turned into this idea that, Hey, let's make a movie. We were wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on filmmaker collectives? And you can kind of think of that in screenwriting collectives or, you know, partnerships with colleges, um, community access to filmmaking equipment, right? Because it's so expensive. You know, what are your thoughts on that kind of thing? I mean, I again, coming from a small market, I was part of those kind of things back in Miami. So um, in your, when you're in a, when you're in a smaller market, when you're not in L.A., New York, Atlanta, you know, if you can be a part of a collective of other like minded people like you that can give you access to people, resources, cameras, anything, absolutely do it, you know, because you, it's kind of like you're circling the, the wagons. You know, you're circling. You're not that lone gunman out there. You're circling the wagons with a group of other settlers and you're trying to get something made and something done, you know, and and that's exactly what you should do. I, I, I'm 110 percent for it. If you can work with colleges, work with colleges. I always tell filmmakers, should I go to film school? I go, no. But if you can go to a local college where I, I'm a big fan of film school at a price, it's an ROI conversation, return on investment. If I spend $50,000 or $100,000 on my education, how long is it going to take me to make that money back? If you're a doctor, it's going to take you back about three to five years. If you're a filmmaker, there's absolutely no guarantee that you'll ever make that money back. And it might be a decade before you come back and that's $100,000 on your neck that you can never get rid of. But if you can go to a local college, take courses, get access to gear, meet other filmmakers for $1,500, $2,000, 5,000 bucks for the entire run of like, you know, maybe a year or something like that, your community, local community college, which will give you the basics that what you need to go shoot stuff. Absolutely. Or get online education. I do a lot of it myself, Um, but there's online education everywhere. YouTube is free. There's so much stuff on YouTube. You're going to hunt a lot and you're going to have to hunt and peck and find stuff, but there's so much more out there. So yet anything you can do in that world to kind of just give you the resources you need to make a movie, I'm 110% for it, especially when you're in smaller um, in smaller markets that just don't have those resources. You've got to, I swear to God, like the analogy of the settlers is that like you could, you could each have your own little houses or you can build a town, build a wall, and now you're protected from the bears and the, and the, and the, and the natives and all of the other stuff. And now you, mm-hmm. you have a little bit more strength when you want to go out and do something. You have crew, you've got 
access, you've got gear, you've got contacts, which you can't do by yourself, especially in your small town. I, I remember living in Miami. I was, I felt like so many times I was the only guy there. I would watch Entourage to get my fix of Hollywood because I felt when I watched Entourage, I know that movie has not, that, that show has not aged very well. Um, but at the time it was a window into Hollywood, especially for me or Project Greenlight or those oh. kind of shows back in the day where you were just like, oh God, like that was, that was the only thing I held on to. And I, and when I got, you know, I got into a film collective and I met other filmmakers and, and did that stuff early in my career, it, it worked so great. And that's what film school is really good for, but you just gotta be able to do it at a price. What are some of the online collectives you would recommend to filmmakers or, or people, you know, off on their own right now? I mean, if you're in, look, I, I know John knows about our group, uh, the Protect Yourself from Film Distributors and Aggregators, and now apparently uh, predatory uh, film festivals as well. Um, uh, that group has grown into a collective of 3,300 filmmakers, um, which is, and these are, it's a very active Facebook group and a lot of people learn a lot, but that's a very small part of it. It's a niche, which is just distribution and, and the things I talked about and helping you through that, which is extremely important. Um, especially it's the only, the only real resource there is out there that I know of. Um, and I'm here all the time that people are talking to themselves constantly and, and, and asking questions like, Hey, should I go with this company or should I go with that company? This guy screwed me or that girl screwed me, all that kind of stuff. But Facebook groups, websites, uh, there are some online communities you can join. Like when you buy a course, you have access to a Facebook group or a community where you have direct access to either the instructor or other people. Um, and then, you know, just listening to, you know, podcasts like mine or yours, or, um, you know, uh, you know, I have, a, I've got a ton and I could list a thousand things that I do. Um, but find wherever you can find people who have like minds, like you online, do it because you're going to learn, join it. Um, if it's free, great. If it costs money, spend a little bit of money, you know, just who, who are you buying from? Do you trust that person? Does that person have some sort of street credibility? Have they been around for more than 15 minutes? Are they older than 15? I keep seeing these guys running through my Facebook feed who are 21 going, I'm going to show you how to get money for your movie. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? It gets me so angry because there's obviously just a scam. They're just obviously, look, you're, just, you're 21. You, you, don't, you don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're making $25,000 a month. I, I on their only, only Xavier, Xavier Dolan. Oh, no, 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 no. YouTube, YouTube is different. YouTube, I'm talking yeah, about this is different. Yeah, this is different. I'm going to show you how to make get money for your film, not how to make money on YouTube. That buy a 15, yeah, 15 year old price, show you how to do that. I'm talking about feature film stuff, I'm talking about television stuff, I'm, the, 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 the bigger bigger, more mm -hmm. traditional things. It pisses me off. But because yeah. I know and I see that I see them scamming people and I, you know, and I, as John will attest to, I, uh, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and whatever, and whatever might I might have, or whatever weight I have in that space, I kind of, I, I kind of throw it around to protect filmmakers because it pisses me off because we, we're abused enough, man, let alone to be taken advantage of and, 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 and just robbed. I, I can't, I just can't. Sorry, I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go off. It's all good, man. Making, <laughs> making movies it's a is a safe space. It's a safe space. <laughs> it's a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Alex, just between man, us. It's just between us. It's just between nobody us. Else. <laughs> nobody else. But seriously, like, uh, you know, your brand is really, and it's interesting when you were talking about the broken DVD. You know, even back then, 
you know, your, your brand was helping other people, right? Create their art, how to do it, sharing advice. You got the, have you, as you said, you've got the scars, the scars and the gray hairs to prove it. Oh, sure. I got the shrapnel. I got the shrapnel, yeah. brothers. I got the shrapnel. Yeah, no question. But like, you know, appreciate the time that um, you've given us today for sure. And I know we just touched, we just touched a little bit of going down the rabbit hole of, uh, of, of filmmaking and the realities of it. But man, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, no, of course. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm glad to help. And thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and if uh, hopefully someone listening will, it will help somebody listening not to avoid a couple of mistakes that might save them hundreds of thousands of dollars or years off of their life. And that's why I do what I do on a daily basis. I'm just trying to help other people not step in the same landmines that I've stepped into, or I've seen other filmmakers step into. Uh, and I'm trying to do it as much as I can. I know you guys are trying to do it as well, trying to educate filmmakers in your area and other people who are listening outside of your area to not, um, to, to kind of make it. And it's just so, it's just rough, man. And it's hard to find real information, not fluffy ooh, information. Yeah, that's a good fluffy, ooh. fluffy information. Everybody is like, yeah, you could do it. It's yeah. Follow your dream. And I'm like, and I, I have my, my t-shirt says follow your dream, but don't be an idiot. And it's, and it's, and it, and it's the best advice I could be follow your dream, but don't be an idiot, you know, because I, God, man, and I've walked the walk. So everything I say is like, I've, I've been there. If you I've been there or I know someone very close to me who's been there and I, and I can speak from experience. So that's why I get upset when I hear a 15 year old telling me, you know, I made my movie. I'm like, you know what, man? I need you to be quiet. No, I'm joking. Uh, I'm open to all voices. I'm open to all voices, but don't try to sell me a $400 course on how to get a million dollars for your film, unless you can prove to me that you've done it. 15-year-old. <laughs> Put up and or that, shut up, kid. And that million dollars was Put not from your parents or someone, or someone you knew. I'm sorry. I go, I go down. And we, and John, we didn't even talk about just like the real bad distribution stuff that we I know. Well, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe we'll have to, we'll have to have, have you back here sometime. Anytime, anytime. I love it. I, I would love to talk. Uh, you know, I mean, I like to talk. It's all good, <laughs> man. It's good I information. appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Well, that's been our episode. Thank you to our guest, Alex Ferrari, and make sure you follow the Film Society and the Greater Erie Film Office on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.